Guys, we're so honored that you decided to worship with us, man. It's so cool to be back in um, in, in church together with you guys, um, whether you're here or in your own line. Um, I'm excited that, to see so many faces that are that are actually in the audience. And today is so cool to have people here. This is uh, only my second time preaching in front of people in like 10 weeks. Y'all, y'all, y'all give me a break um, from um, today, please, a little bit. So, um, so welcome to church. If it's your first time here, um, I think I see a couple people that I haven't seen before. I pray that you would just feel welcome, loved, and that um, you would just stop by and see Meredith before you leave because we have a little something we want to give you, something we want to uh, just kind of have a record of your visit and be able to um, to be able to kind of keep track of uh, who's coming in and out of this place so that we can better keep um, you guys invested in what God's doing in your life. And so. Um, whether you're here physically or online, like Meredith said, um, it's, it, we're super pumped that you're here. These, these past few weeks, what has God really been doing in my life, my own heart, you might be able to relate, but what he's been doing in my life is um, he's been teaching me a lot about what it means to really trust him. But not just trust him, but actually respond to him. Because so many times I read scripture, I mean, if you're like me, you read, you read the word and you, you come before the Lord in prayer and, and, and you, you, you gain a lot of understanding, you gain a lot of wisdom and knowledge but sometimes we forget the response, right? We forget to respond to the knowledge that God puts in our heart and to our minds. That we've been walking through some, some pretty tough moments lately as a culture, right? We've been walking through some pretty tough things as a, as a country, as a world. Um, we're a country that's full of sin. Um, we're a country or a world that's full of sin, and sin has reared its ugly head again this past week. And um, it's, it seems like every time I turn on the news or every time I look at Facebook, it's like there's something else that has just happened or something else that is going wrong or something else that is, uh, it just feels like 2020 has just been the year from, I don't know where. <laughs> it's been a rough year. And I just want to tell you, like I've, I've said this before, um, shortly after Easter, Easter but like I, our church as a body, our, our church has made a statement multiple times on social media from this pulpit, but our church stands with people. Our church stands with, the, with God's creation. Our church stands with the people who... Um, who need to understand this morning that they're loved and cared for. We believe that there's no man that's, that was created above another man. We believe that all men were created equal, every race, ethnicity. We believe that Jesus loves us all equally and they have equal value and worth in God's eyes. And so this morning, I just want to tell you this morning that we stand against racism. We stand against violence and hatred of any form. And, and I promise you that's, that's where we stand as a body and we are going to move in that direction of seeing social injustice solved. I'm having a meeting this week with a pastor in town, African-American pastor. We're going to have some real conversations about next steps for how we're going to move forward in this because it's, it's happening too much and we just talk about it too much. We never do anything. It's time for us to step up and see something change. But anyway, but I just want to, as we jump into this message, I just want to just remind you on January the 14th of 2018, was the first message that I ever preached to Connection Church Pooler in the, at that time. But now it's Connection Church Savannah. And one of the things I said, the very one of the very first points I told you was that we do not want to give you something to come to. And what better way to say that again right now is, is when we're starting to come back into the building. We're starting to come back and sit in the seats again. We don't want to give you something to come to where you're back to normal. We don't want to give you something to come to where you're sitting in a place where we're coming back to normal, back to the comfort. Uh, we, want, we, want to, we want you to be a part of something larger than yourself. 
because we believe God's put something inside of you very special. God's put something inside of us as a body, very something special that he wants to do in you and through you, not just something to come to, not just a church to come attend, because I want to tell you this morning, if you're following Jesus, your decision to follow Jesus, your decision to be a Christian, to live for him, is the most important choice in your life. This morning, if you don't know Christ and you make that call this morning, you make that decision this morning, that is the most important thing that you will ever do in your life is come into submission before the Father and say, Jesus is my Lord. And walk out the rest of your life in obedience. But that relationship is always active and it's never passive. Your relationship with Jesus is always active. It's never passive. God's been working in my heart, really exposing these hidden um, landmines in my life that I that I may not recognize sometimes because I've always been this way or this is this is what I've always done or this is how I've always done things but the tradition the the things in my life that that I the, how I read scripture how I follow Jesus how I relate to my fellow man and but if but if we're not open to challenging our beliefs and our way of life as we follow Jesus then we're missing the whole entire premise of what it means to follow Jesus and to deny self because the Lord has been pressing into my heart. Michael, how will you respond? How will you respond to crisis? How, how are you going to respond to racism, to hatred? How are you going to respond to the word of God as you read it? Because what's happened around us is because we have people who are following Jesus but not really obeying his word. And it's time for us to step up and say, man, listen, and to remind ourselves to have a knowledge and not apply it makes us useless. It makes us part of the problem. And so are we, are, just it's a little self-evaluation, this we're going to do this in just a second, but are we responding when we read Scripture? Are we reading Scripture? Are we investing in the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the, 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 the bride that he died for, those sitting around you who are followers of Jesus, those who have given their life to Christ, who are following Jesus? Have we invested our life into the body because that's what he's called us to do? We're called as Christians to be supernaturally invested in the body of Christ. And as the world around us spirals deeper into this confusion and this perversion and into this just sinful mindset, the church will rise up. It's going to rise up. It says in the scripture, the church will rise up. They will take a stand. There will be a great revival. But here's the question. Will we, will you, will I, will we be counted in, in that number as faithful? Will we be counted in that number as faithful? Will we stand up and say enough's enough? Jesus is Lord, and I'm going to be obedient to what he says. Because I want to tell you this right now. We can't afford to be a church that, that is saved but lives lost. We can't be a church that is saved but lives lost. Today, as we open Scripture, I pray that you would evaluate your hearts with me because I'm going to do the same thing and see where you're at. And I just want to ask you a few questions. Just let these questions hit you in the heart. Not to your wife or to your husband or to your friend sitting next to you, but just you. But just ask yourself these questions. Do I love Jesus? Do I love Jesus? Evaluate yourself in that. Not the things that Jesus gives me. Not the blessings that I have. But just Jesus. Just Jesus. Do I love him? The second question I would ask you is, am I just getting by? Coasting. Numb. Lost interest. Or am I following Jesus? Am I following Jesus? Or am I a Christian according just to today's standards of what religion should look like? And then the last thing, what do I need to lay down before the Lord today and surrender? 
It reminds me of the story in Exodus. I've shared it here before, but Moses told Pharaoh, like, you pick the day that I'll remove these plagues from your land. What does Pharaoh say? He says, tomorrow. I don't understand that because why don't you say today, now, is the time to remove these things from your land, from your home, from your heart. Today is the day to remove these things from your life that you need to lay down before the Lord. Because I want to tell you, this book has power. This book has power. The words in it are alive and active. And I want to tell you this morning that if you would just let it change you, it will. At any time we open the pages of this book, there's an opportunity for God to change your life. There's an opportunity for your life to be changed. And so as we pray, as we go into a time of prayer before we begin this message this morning, I just want you to evaluate your heart and just simply say, God, please come into my life and show me the areas that I've been missing. And I promise you, if you pray those types of prayers, he will do it. God, open my ears to hear your voice. Open my heart to to hear your voice. Open my eyes to see you move around me. And he'll do it. So let's pray together this morning. We'll jump into um, Acts chapter 24 if you have your Bibles today. So God, we love you so much. We're thankful for all that you've done in our lives, in this church. We thank you for, Lord, how you're moving in our body. We thank you for what you're doing around our our world. God, even though there's things that seem out of control, God, the things that you're doing that are... are, um, just, just, just hard for us to understand, Lord. We know that you're moving. We know that you're changing things. We know that you're moving us into a place where, um, God, that we're in your will. We're following your lead. And so, Father, this morning, I pray as we open Scripture, as we read Acts chapter 14 or 24 together, God, that you would just show us the things in Scripture that you want us to see, that we can mold our lives around, God, that we would become a, a people that, is, that, are, that are your people, God, the people that are um, after your will and your way, God, and that we would just be submissive subjects of your kingdom, Lord. We love you so much, God. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, as I said, uh, we're going to be in chapter 24 of Acts, and this is the 24th week of our witness series. Believe it or not, we've been in Acts for a minute. You know what I mean? We've been here for a second, and it's crazy to me that I just want to say, like, next week is going to be our last week in this series. Oh, man. And so we're going to kind of bring a few chapters together, and we're going to finish this series next week, and we're going to jump into a cool, super awesome summer series that we'll announce next week that I think you guys will love. But, um, but what I've loved about Acts, uh, going through the book of Acts as the church, looking at how as followers of Jesus, you are sent. You are sent. You are sent on a mission with a message of the gospel that was meant to go to all nations and people groups around the world. And as we talked about from day one, it's taught us so much about where we are as a church. Because if you read Acts and you say, hey, I'm supposed to be going to the nations. I'm supposed to be going to the nations. Then it start, starts in my street. It starts in my church. It starts across the road from my house. Going to the people because I have a message. I have the message of the gospel that's been rooted in my heart to give away. Not to keep, in, not to keep close to him. It's meant to be given away because it's the hope of salvation. It's the hope of eternity that you have in your heart if you're a follower of Jesus. And so this morning, that's the heart. And it's taught me a lot about the deeper meaning of what it means to follow Jesus. As I see Paul and, and, and Peter and, and Barnabas and all these guys in Scripture and Acts, they're, they're giving their life completely to God to be used for the kingdom. Like they're, they're giving themselves away. They're, nothing matters except the mission at this point. The, the, their jobs, their families, everything was, was molded around the mission. And what that's taught me is if I love Jesus... And I follow Jesus, that means I'm going to love and I'm going to pursue his mission. Those two things never are separated. 
If I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm on mission for Jesus. There's no separation in that. And so dying to self becomes more real and more crucial in my life as I grow. And that's what happens. As you see the mission, you start to understand, I can't do this on my own. Because your natural reaction is going to be pulling away from discomfort, pulling away from the things that are hard, pulling away from discipleship because you don't have all the answers. You don't know all the the right things. You're going to pull away from the hard things, but dying to self, letting God come alive in you is how you're going to fulfill the mission. And So for the last 10 chapters, I just want to do a summary of of the last 10 chapters, and I want to do a a summary of what we're going to talk about today and um, next week. But uh, I want to read chapter 24 in just a second, the whole book, so, so get ready. So everything we've looked at in the life of, in the ministry of Paul in the last 10 chapters is coming to pass in chapter 24. The last 10 chapters we see, we see his, his friends saying, hey man, like he's in Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem, he's prophesying, don't go there, chains and persecution are going to wait you there, they're going to beat you up, they're going to put you in chains, there's going to be all kind of crazy stuff going on. And then you see in chapter 20, verse 23, Paul says, well, the Holy Spirit has warned me that in every town, chains and affliction are waiting for me. That's, 20 verse, that's chapter 20, verse 23. And then when he gets to a Jerusalem, there's a false witness brought against him in an attempt on his life because he told the Jewish leaders that God, the calling that God has put on his life was to go preach the gospel to all nations, which was the Gentiles, when the Jews had a really big problem with this and they got really angry and they started throwing fists and all kinds of different things. And so then God tells Paul, he sends Paul a vision and told Paul to, or God told Paul, said, have courage for for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to now testify about me in Rome. And so then these 40 crazy Jewish leaders formed this conspiracy to kill Paul and even make a pact together to not eat or drink until Paul had been killed. That's a serious pact, man. I would never do that. Listen, I'm not stopping eating for... Okay. It's crazy. Like, that's a, I'm not, I'm not going to eat or drink until this guy's dead. That's wild, man. That's, that, the hatred in these guys' heart is crazy. And then Paul's nephew finds out about the, the pack, and he, he warns Paul. So Paul gets smuggled to Caesarea with the protection of about 200 soldiers. And so in chapter 24, we're finally going to see Paul in chains before Felix only 13 days after he arrived in Jerusalem. So this happened fast. It was like things are moving fast. So let's pick up in chapter 24. We're going to read straight through it, and then we're going to jump into to our message today. It says, uh, five days later... Ananias, the high priest, came down with some elders and a lawyer named Tertullius. These men presented their case against Paul to the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullius began to accuse him and said, We enjoy great peace because of you, and reforms are, and reforms are taking place for the benefit of this nation because of your foresight. They're trying to play to some flattery here. We acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with utmost gratitude. But so that I will not burden you with any further. I request that you would be kind enough to give us a brief hearing. For we have found this man to be a plague, an agitator among all the Jews throughout the Roman world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to desecrate the temple, and so we apprehended him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to discern the truth about these charges we are bringing against him. The Jews also joined in the attack, alleging that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, Because I know you have been a judge of this nation for many years, I am glad to offer my defense in what concerns me. You can verify for yourself that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They didn't find me arguing with anyone or causing disturbance among the crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or anywhere in the city. Neither can they prove the charges they are now making against me, but I admit this to you. 
I worship the God of my ancestors according to the way, which they call a sect, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and written in the prophets. I have a hope in God, which means which these men themselves also accept, and there will be a resurrection both of the righteous and the unrighteous. And so these guys are Pharisees who are bringing this charge against Paul. And so they were very careful not to bring any Sadducees because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And so you look at this, and what Paul was doing is he was identifying himself with these Pharisees. And what he was doing in this moment, he was identifying, saying, hey, I believe the same thing these guys believe. We're in unison on that. The only thing I don't believe that they believe is that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he goes in there, and it left the Pharisees with a dilemma because if Paul's faith was the same as their faith, then they were heretical too. And so Paul wasn't a, 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 um, a former Jew in this moment. Paul was a fulfilled Jew. Okay, so we need to see that in this moment. And so let's continue to read. Um, I always strive to have a clear conscience toward, toward God and men. After many years, I came to bring charitable gifts and offerings to my people. While I was doing this, some Jews from Asia found me ritually purified in the temple without a crowd and without any uproar. It is they who ought to be here before you to bring charges if they have anything against me. Or let these men here state what wrongdoing they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Other than this one statement, I shouted while standing among them, Today I am on trial before, before you concerning the resurrection of the dead. Since Phidias was well informed about the way, he adjourned. The reason he was well informed is because Drusilla was a Jew. He adjourned the hearing of, of saying, When... Lysias, Lysias, whatever his name is, sorry, the commander comes down, I will decide your case. He ordered that the centurion keep Paul under guard, though he could have some freedom and that he should prevent any of his friends from meeting his needs. And so he had freedom to roam around the palace and have um, his friends meet his needs. Several days later, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jew, he sent for Paul and listened to him on the subject of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as he spoke about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix became afraid. So a lot, of, a lot of translation says Felix trembled with fear and replied, leave for now, but when I have an opportunity, I'll call for you. At the same time, he was also hoping that Paul would offer him some money. So he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. After two years had passed, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and because Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. And so then in chapter 25, you'll see another ambush is going to be planned and avoided. Paul is, is brought before Festus, Felix's replacement here. And Paul exercises his right as a Roman citizen to appear before Caesar, the emperor. But before Paul is transport, transported to Rome, what happens is you see Festus wants to impress King Agrippa, who wants to hear Paul's message. So he allows Paul to share his testimony with Agrippa, and no one can find any legal fault in Paul. But everybody that Paul stands before admits and admires his passion and his courage. And so now if you're like me, I, I know that there's people in this room that are like this, but in my life I've had, I've had the privilege of having friends in my life that, that, uh, that, that, that God uses to encourage and challenge me. I'm not sure if you're like me, but I, I have those people in my life, people who have been radically changed by the gospel, people who have gone from death to life, no matter the circumstances in their life, they're not afraid to share the hope that's found in the gospel. They're, they're, they're just very, very, very passionate about what they believe. And I have many friends who have seen that light of the gospel, experienced the grace and the mercy that is so intricately laced within the good news of the gospel, and they were changed in an instant. 
God, they, God revealed to their hearts their sinful condition, showed them who Jesus was, and they changed their life, give their life to Jesus. And their citizenship had been changed as they rested their entire weight of their eternity on Christ and his sacrifice on the cross because the spiritual eyes of their hearts had been awakened. They had seen Jesus, and he was the only one that could carry the weight of their sin, and they gave their life to him. And there's many people in this room that have already done this. And some of you in this room are those people in my life that, that are like that. And we can see through Paul's life in Scripture that the beauty of the gospel changes you. That it changes you. It grips your spirit. When you see the gospel clearly, when God removes the blinders, it grips your spirit. And you see it's impossible to go on living for yourself. If you come to know Jesus and you've seen the, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Christ... It's impossible to go on living for yourself, and it's just as impossible to go on living without being submissive to Jesus and his plans. And so nothing else matters. Nothing else makes sense other than being obedient to my Father, my Lord, my Jesus. And this message, as you can see in chapter 24 and through the rest of this book, was so driven down in Paul's heart that nothing could drive it out. Nothing can pull it out. Nothing can take it away. He had suffered the loss of all things. If you look in Philippians chapter 3, probably one of my favorite books in the Bible, he says he counted everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. Everything. And some people, scholars say that the word that Paul uses for dung or is a curse word in some languages. Is, I count it all as, as dung, as crap. As I'm, I'm, as I'm not, I count it all as lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, all these things, because Paul was rich. A lot of people didn't know this. Paul was rich. He, in verse 26, you see Felix trying to get some money from him. He, he was from a rich family in Sicilia and was a Pharisee who was wealthy. Um, he, he comes from a very wealthy background, and he had a lot to lose, but he let it all go with pleasure when he faced the riches of the gospel. And so to spread the gospel, what happened to Paul? If you know anything about Paul, he encountered hardships after hardships, shipwrecks, beatings, but none of these things moved him. Neither did he count his life worth anything else but to spread the message of the cross and the resurrection that he might know Christ and be found in him. Persecution followed persecution, beating after beating. The Jews beating with rods. He was dragged from one tribunal to another. Every day he was found in chains and in prison. He was attacked in his own country. He was accused in Jerusalem and arraigned in Caesarea. And here he is before Felix on trial for his life all because of his belief in Jesus. You remember in chapter 24, they couldn't find anything wrong. They couldn't find anything that he had done wrong. He had lived his life above reproach. He, had, he knew how to follow Jesus, and the, and, the, and, the, and the Pharisees were coming against him just like they had come against Jesus. And we have to notice how he always maintains his passion for the message of the gospel and the mission of of going to see the nation's reach, to see Jesus glorified and the gospel push forward. You could, you could put Paul anywhere you wanted him. You could put him in prison. You could put him out here. You could put him in there. You can beat him. You do all these things. And this is what frustrated his accusers because you couldn't do anything with him because he says things like to live as Christ and die as gang. Bro, whatever you want to do with him, I'm just going to glorify God. And you can't do something. With him. You, can't, you can't torture that guy. You can't, you can't let him go because he's going, you can't do the, nothing with this guy because he, he has given his life to Jesus. And his attitude reminds me of a quote from John Bunyan that says, if you let me out of prison today, I'll preach the gospel again tomorrow. And so that's the heart of a believer. That's the heart of a Christian in this room. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is the example that we live by. But even in prison, 
Paul preached, right? Even when he was put in prison, he was put before these people that were chained to him. He had captive audiences every six hours. Oh, it's you again. Let's talk about Jesus some more. Let's talk about the Lord. Let's talk about the Lord. Let's talk about had captive audiences before his judges, before Felix, before Festus, before Agrippa. He proclaimed the gospel. In our text today, before Felix, he was tried life or death. Instead of entering a defense for himself, which I would have probably done, hey, Felix, I, I didn't do anything, man. These guys are crazy. Please spare me. What did he do? He shared the gospel. He shared the gospel of who Jesus was. It says he talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. He met Felix right where he was and met him right where he needed to be. And his eyes were on heaven and his heart was on the souls that were right in front of him. If you look in chapter 24, verse 25 right there, it says he spoke about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come until Felix, who was judging him, had the power to take his life until his judge trembled with fear. Paul's message messed this dude up, man. Like, but why, you ask? Like, you, you, you have to read scripture and say, why didn't Paul's message mess this guy up? Well, Felix was an ex-slave who had won his freedom and now was ruling a province in Rome. And he was ruling this province like an ex-slave. And so if you were a slave and you'd been beat and you'd been mistreated or you'd been this or you'd been that, there'd be a little bit of bitterness in your heart, Right? There'd be a little bit of, I'm going to get even. There'd be a little bit, I'm going, I've been locked away for all these years. Now I'm going to indulge in every pleasure that I can find, right? And that's where Felix was at. His, his marriage to Drusilla, who was a Jew, was at his third marriage, and he had had to break up her marriage to marry her. His leadership was marked by injustice. There was adultery after adultery, murder to get political gain, dishonest financial gains that contrasted with the righteousness of God that Paul was preaching to Felix because he was the man that was grossly lacking in self-control. And so he was known for his self-indulgences, and Paul knew that. So you see in verse 22, it says this, though. It says, since Felix was well-informed about the way, probably because Drusilla was a Jew, but I can imagine it being the curiosity of his wife, Drusilla, that prompted Felix to give Paul another hearing because she wanted to hear Paul. Probably, and this is not factual, this is just my, my mind thinking, probably because her family had been involved in the way on several occasions. Her, her great-granddad was, was, would try to kill Jesus in Bethlehem in Matthew chapter 2. Her great-uncle tried to kill John the Baptist in Luke 23, and her father tried to kill and did kill the apostle James in Acts 12. And so you see there's a lot of connections here. And so in verse 25, we see the gospel convict Felix's heart. Not only was Felix's mind informed, what it says in verse 22, he was well informed about the gospel. He knew about the way. He knew about this way of life. But in that verse 25, it says he was convicted. God's, God convicted Felix's heart through Paul. And, and so, but he still wouldn't obey the truth. He still wouldn't obey the truth. And so you see, it's not enough for a person in this place, around our country, around our world, to know the truth about Jesus and to have an emotional experience with the gospel. We're called to repent of our sin and trust our Savior. There, there's, it's not enough to come to an altar in tears. It's not enough to, to raise a hand or to pray a prayer. It's about repenting of our sin, turning away from the things that hold us bondage and, and in bondage and turning towards Christ and trusting him to relieve us and to redeem us and to deliver us from those things. The same concept is what Jesus was talking about to the Pharisees in John chapter 5 when he said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And this is the strategy in sharing with his accusers. This is what Paul was doing. This is his strategy. And there are a few things that really stick out to me as I'm reading this chapter. Paul goes directly to the throat of Felix. He doesn't know how much time he has to share the gospel with Felix. So he goes straight to the point. He's not trying to save his life. He's trying to save Felix's life. That's interesting to me. So the first thing that I see is Paul's view of eternal things had outweighed his concern for temporary security. Paul had seen God. Paul had knew God. Paul had knew God through Jesus. He had seen Jesus on the Damascus Road. He had had an experience with Jesus. And so everything in life that was temporal and temporary had been, had been seen and had been experienced through the filter of eternity. And so what that means for me is I say Paul's view of eternal things outweighed his concern for temporary security. What, you can look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It'll be on the screen or you can write it down. Chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. Paul's writing, Therefore do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Understanding the magnitude of the gospel story makes you realize how finite you are and how desperately you need the very presence of God to carry you through life. So my question for you this morning is where are you at? Like where, where's your focus at? Is your focus on your job? Is your focus on your family? Is your focus on your money? Is your focus here? Or is your focus on eternity where God says he sits and reigns and rules? And this reminded me of a story of one of the apostles, and we're going to talk about a couple more of the apostles today, who were met with death because of their faith in Jesus. James, the son of Zebedee, one of the brothers, Jesus nicknamed the sons of thunder, which I think is awesome. I've always thought I was, I was named the sons of thunder. It's legit. He was a fisherman. But he was called, when he was called into a lifetime of ministry, he was a fisherman. He was a son of thunder, fisherman. And as a strong leader in the church, James was beheaded in Jerusalem, but his faith remained intact and focused on heaven because of the gospel had gripped his heart so tightly nothing could take his heart away from Jesus. And so look what happened next. The, the, the Roman officer who guarded James watched in amazement that James defended his faith, not himself, at his trial. And later on, the, the officer who, who had seen James before, the, before his judges walked beside James to the place of James' execution. The officer became overcome with conviction. The officer declared his new faith in Christ to the judge and knelt beside James to accept his beheading as a Christ follower. So listen, to, and this is what Paul is talking about. Listen, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, this is the heart that James and the officer had now because not that I've already reached the goal or, or, or am already perfect, but I have in every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul had been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. James had been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. This guard had been taken a hold of by Christ Jesus. My question today is, have you been taken over by Christ Jesus? Has Jesus taken a hold of your life where you don't see anything else making sense besides following him? And I'm not talking about your form of following him. I'm talking about the biblical form of following him. Because we like to change the rules and move the goalposts, right? We're called to follow him the way Scripture says follow him. 
Has Jesus taken a hold of your heart? Has he, have you been gripped by his love and his grace? Has your, has your gaze been set on Jesus, on eternity? Or are we still holding on to our lives, trying to squeeze out the last bit of control, trying to make ourselves and our lives and our family's lives safe? Because safe is what we're really wanting, right? I want to be safe. I want to be secure financially, physically, mentally, emotionally. I want to be safe. There's nothing safer than Jesus. Next thing that sticks out to me, the second thing, is Paul cared more about the souls of those sitting in judgment over him than his own life. Think about that. This joker was in, on a throne in a huge, beautiful building probably. Paul is standing before him in rags, probably been beaten, been in prison, been in the dungeon. He stands before this guy who had the power to kill him. He didn't defend himself. He said, he shared the gospel with him. That's a big deal. He wasn't trying to defend himself because he loved Felix. There was a compassion from Felix, for Felix that overflowed in Paul. He shared the gospel instead of trying to plead for his innocence. What would you or I have done? I'll be honest with you. I'd been on my knees crying like, Lord, Lord, save me. I'll do anything. Save me. That's what my flesh would want to do. But has my spirit come alive in me enough? Has the Holy Spirit taken a hold of my life to the point where I'm like, I, I, I see eternity. I know that God has done for what he's done for me and I'm living my life for him. What will we have done at Connection? We strongly believe that saved people seek the salvation of other people. If you're saved, that means you're seeking the salvation of other people. That means you have a hard time walking by somebody that doesn't know Jesus without telling them about the hope that's found in Jesus. Because that means you either hate people or you don't really believe the gospel. Those are really the two options, right? Because if I'm not sharing my faith with someone that I know, if they don't know Jesus and I know what that means, that means they're going to spend eternity away from Jesus and I don't share, that means I don't like them or that means I don't believe what I say I believe. It means I'm just, it's just a cultural religion that I follow, Right? And so as I, as I think about that, what does that mean? Like we, believe, we believe this to be true. Saved people seek the salvation of other people because that's all that you read in this Bible. When you read Scripture, no one in this Bible, asks, and, and I challenge me here, go try to find this and come to me and say, hey, this is what I found. You were wrong. I'll, I'll get up on stage next week and be like, I was wrong. This person said this. But I don't think you'll find it. Nobody in Scripture meets Jesus, gets delivered, gets saved, and then goes back to life as normal. There's not one person in this book that that's happened to. But there's many people in the church today that's happened to, right? We get saved, but nothing seems to change. Things sometimes seem to get worse. It just doesn't happen. The problem we're faced with in the church in America today is there's many people who have prayed a prayer or walked an aisle and believe they're saved when they're really not because they haven't submitted to the king. They haven't given their lives over to him because they, they give it to him with condition. God, I'll give this to you if this. But Paul, before Felix, people who have truly experienced a life with Jesus want others to know about Jesus. We, we're, we are God, the church, we are God's plan A for salvation for the world, for the gospel to, to get the God, for, for the world to get the gospel. And there's no plan B. We're God's plan A to reach the world with the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing else coming except us and the Holy Spirit. And that's enough. People dying, spending eternity apart from God should break our hearts and move us into action. 
It should push us out into the streets. It should push us out into our neighborhoods just to meet our neighbors or just to meet the people around us to just to see what God wants to do with us. Romans 10, 14 is a great verse about this. It says, it, it talks about how then can they call on him that they have not believed in and how can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher coming and preaching and sharing the good news? We've all asked ourselves this question. We all need to ask ourselves this question around the room, myself included, those of you online. Literally, ask yourself this question. Am I too enthralled with the things of this world to be concerned about eternity? Am I too enthralled by the things of this world to be concerned about eternity? Are we too busy building our life that Jesus might get a corner of it but not control of it? Right? What, what, what is distracting us? It's different around the room. Well, there's, there's, there's many people in this room that have different distractions. What are they that may be distracting you? Because we need to understand this, guys. A church is not a church when the passions for souls are gone. A church is not a church when the passion for the lost is gone. It becomes a social environment where you come and see your friends. Our hearts have to be for going after people who are far away from Jesus and telling them there's something better. Stirring people's hearts to awake to the truth of the gospel, to take their eyes off of their next promotion at work or bank statement for a moment and put it on Jesus to satisfy their deepest longings. But the church has to do it first because there's been many people who we've shared the gospel with, who have returned a statement like, why do I need this? I'm just as good as you are. They don't, haven't seen Jesus in us. The church has to do it first. If we love Jesus, we'll love people like Paul will, like Paul did, and we'll be, and we'll be compelled to share the hope we found in him. I'm not sure if you're like me. I, we've all seen those war movies, right? Like American Sniper or, or these different war movies that have come out over the past few years. All these different types of movies, it's, it's great. If you're not like me, it's, it's okay. There's, it's, you're probably a better person. But, but there's, a, there's, a, there's this one scene, there's this one scene in every one of those movies that you remember, like, they, they all come around the whiteboard and the commander's up there saying, dude, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, 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 this. The military people are like, he's an idiot, right? Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. They get in this room, they, 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 they kind of, they kind of get the, the plan of action together, and then they send them out, right? And so they, they go out, and they're all fired up. They go get in their, their, their helicopters and their tanks, and they're, they're their gun, they go out, and they, they go do the mission. And so, but what if those guys said to their commander in that moment, you know what? Nah, it's too scary. I, ain't do, I, ain't, I don't want to do that. That's too hard. But this is kind of how the church has operated. God said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and then the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the things I've taught you. But we've, we kind of ran into that with like, ah, it's just awkward to talk to somebody. I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable, right? We've kind of ran into that with that same mentality. It's scary to talk to somebody about Jesus because what if I offend them, right? We walk into that room in that moment and we walk out without being obedient. And my heart is like, I want you to see is that the disciples were in that room with Jesus. They were met with a mission and Peter went to Rome and was crucified, Andrew went to Greece and Turkey and to modern day the Soviet Union. He was crucified. Doubt, doubting Thomas, who had doubted Jesus' resurrection, went to, went to Syria and India. He was speared to death. Philip went to North Africa. He was crucified. Matthew went to Ethiopia. He was stabbed to death. Bartholomew went to India with Thomas. He was flayed to death. James was the leader of the first church, and we talked about already how he died. And so all these people had died, and I'm like, what the heck? That's crazy. I don't want to follow Jesus and die. But these guys had a vision of eternity that far outweighed what's happening on earth. And they went passionately and faced 
head on with the culture and shared the faith that they had in Jesus. And so many people will look at these stories and, and this list and say, well, those are the apostles, Michael. Those guys were like, they, was, they, were, they had the Holy Spirit. Well, you do too. Listen, a great modern day example is our missions partner in Thailand. He took his family across the world and lives there. Lives in Thailand right now in the middle of a very, uh, just it's, it's a hard environment, especially right now. Another great example is Jim Elliott. I know you've heard this story before. Go read his biography. It's incredible. We've talked about this here before, but he went to, he took the gospel to the Quechua people in the jungles of South America. And one of his quotes from his books, and it's one of his most famous quotes, it says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, which is his life, to gain what he cannot lose, which is his salvation. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, which is his life. You can't keep your life. I don't know if you realize this or not, but 10 out of 10 people in this room are going to die. Okay? Sorry to, sorry to inform you of that. But to gain what he cannot lose, salvation. He wrote another quote in his book, in his biography. He says, coming home from the field, we stopped for a bite to eat and ran into a confused waitress. We had a heart-wrenching time trying to speak the words of life to her from the gospel. And as I think of this country now, many just as confused, and I realize the 39th Street bus is as much a mission field as Africa ever was. The mission of God is just as urgent here in the Savannah area as it is in the jungles of the Amazon or the plains of Africa or the mountains of Asia. It's just as urgent here. People still need Jesus, which means the mission of God as laid out in Scripture is still relevant. Many people are so focused on being fed. I come to church to be fed. Uh, the pastor didn't really feed me. I don't really get fed at that church. So I'm going to go to this church. I I, we're so focused on being fed and consuming the church that we forget that the church is a training ground for the mission. It's a training ground for missionaries. We are meant to, be, to serve the body of Christ and to build it up to maturity, to see it united around the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in Scripture and to send people out to see the gospel reach the nations. Paul's hope was in heaven. Paul's trust was in Jesus, right? Instead of defending himself, he loved his accuser. And the last thing, really quick, as we close, that I noticed from this passage, Paul's obedience laid the foundation for the gospel to move throughout the Roman Empire, which pushed it through the rest of the world. The doors that were open in this moment, it's crazy. Paul's obedience laid the foundation for the gospel to move throughout the Roman Empire, which pushed it throughout the rest of the world. And I want to tell you this this morning. You never know what God is going to do through your obedience. You never know what he's going to do through your obedience. You, it, there's moments where you feel like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's weird. I don't know if I should go out here and do this. It's kind of, God, I don't understand. Why do you want me to do this? If you would just obey, you'd be amazed at what God would do through one act of obedience. Many people spend years asking, you know, what does God want me to do with my life? Instead of asking, who does God want me to, to become? And that's the heart that we need to ask those questions with this morning because many of the answers we're looking for and what God is wanting us to do can be found in who he wants us to become. And so the problem with the doing something, though, with the works-based religion that we kind of fall into sometimes, it creates a mentality in us that God owes us something. I've read my Bible, I've prayed, I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, I've done that. God, where are you at? Right? It creates this moment of God owes me salvation. God owes me healing in my body. God owes me these things. God owes me these things. God owes us nothing. The grace that we have through the gospel is 
is more than enough and we need God. He says his grace is sufficient for us. Read the Bible and do what it says. This is how you know what God wants you to do. Read the Bible and then do something crazy. Go do what it says. Listen, steps of obedience will always lead to moments where God's faithfulness is revealed. Always. Obedience leads to gratitude also. We will see our lives changed as we follow Jesus and do what he says. He says, go into the nations and make disciples. Have we done that? Individually, just ask yourselves, have I made a disciple ever? Have I made a disciple? Have I, and have I, have I shared my faith with somebody? And I want, I want to give you a very hard truth on this. Inviting someone to church and, and is not evangelism. Sharing your faith with somebody is important. There's, there's a lot of you in this room that will reach people that this room can never reach, this church can never reach because you have influence in, in people's lives and no, that I couldn't have. But God has put you in those people's lives for a specific reason, to share your faith and the gospel with people. Share the gospel message with people. And when it comes to obedience, I'm always reminded of Abraham and the story of Isaac in Genesis 22. Abraham's blind obedience led to God's incredible faithfulness. And I'm sitting there reading verses and chapters like that. I remember, what was Abraham's response? Okay. I don't read any arguments. I don't read any questions. I don't read any, anything. All, all, I, all I see Abraham doing is going to sacrifice the son that he had waited 100 years for because, simply because God told him to. My question is, this morning, would, would you do something that God asked you to do even if it didn't make sense to you? Even if it was something as crazy as sacrificing your sacred cows. Would we be where we're at if Abraham hadn't passed that test? Would we be where in this moment, in this room, if Paul hadn't been obedient to the Lord before Felix? Paul was obedient and faithful to the task that God had given him. Paul's obedience opened the doors for millions of people to hear the gospel. Let's make it personal. What door will your obedience open for the next generation? coming behind you? What doors will your obedience open for the next generation? Will people that come behind you find you faithful? Will your kids that you're raising find you faithful? Will they point to your life and say, I want to follow Jesus like my mom or my dad because I saw miracles happen in their life. I saw the gospel very alive in their life and I saw people come to know Jesus and I saw crazy things just because they love people and love God and they did what he said. Well, well, they have an example to follow of someone who is so gripped by the gospel that, that loved people so much and obeyed the Lord so adamantly that they have an example to follow. Because this is what I know. And as I read scripture, as I read verses like whenever, whenever um, you know, Moses is, is, is gone and Joshua comes in and, and like, there's like this awkward moment where God's, you see God just living, uh, letting Moses live in this moment of like communion with the Father and just having this, this great relationship. And then he dies and it's like, God's like, all right, next. Caleb, right? He's like, why are you crying? Let's just move on. The mission's still, let's, it's time to keep moving. But what, what it taught me was God's messengers come and go. Men and women of God fade away into history, but the message and the mission never change and they'll endure forever. So what about you? Has your life made Jesus famous? Has the gospel been known through the way that you speak to people, the way that you live your life? If not, why? Why right now? Is it, is it because it's more about you that your decisions are made about you? Has it been more about you than about Jesus? And so this morning, as we began, I asked you, do you love Jesus? 
My last question today is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Have you experienced Jesus? That's something that you can always point to. If you had an experience with Jesus and he saved your life, you can always point back and say, this is when Jesus changed my life. He moved in my life and I went from death to life and he changed me in an instant. And if you can't point back to something that amazing and and say, Jesus revealed himself to me and saved me, then let's talk. Because the gospel is about Jesus coming and doing something that we couldn't do. Coming and dying for our sins. Coming and taking our place on a cross that were reserved for us. Taking the payment for me and giving me his righteousness and his grace and his beauty all in that same moment. And Jesus is the only way to the Father. And this morning, if you know that you have never accepted Christ, whether you're online or here, and you know that you've never surrendered your life to Christ, or maybe you've played games your entire relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've just kind of walked this line that everybody thought you should walk, you never made it personal, and you follow Jesus for you, and you follow Jesus for him, and you're obedient to him. Maybe you've never done that. And this morning, so you say, hey, well, people will be surprised if I raise my hand because I've been, I've been a leader, I've done this and that and the other. It doesn't matter. This is eternal things we're talking about. This morning, if that's you, I want to pray with you. I'll, I'll be right here, and I, we're going to sing one more song. We're going to sing Waymaker, I think. And that's just a perfect opportunity for, for you to see that God is making a way for salvation because if you're not dead, he's not done. And this morning, he is trying to bring life to you. And whether you're online or whether you're here, my heart and my prayer would be that you would just accept it and you would walk in obedience to him and let him be faithful to your life. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to ask you to meet me in that corner over there and we'll pray and we'll get this thing right. And then you'll see a whole congregation online and physically celebrate with you like heaven will. And so let me pray for us as we go. God, we love you so much. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for what you've done on the cross. God, I pray this morning that you would just convict our hearts of where we have gone our own way, Lord. I pray that you would just remove the blinders from people's eyes this morning as they search for you, as they seek for you, God. I pray, Lord, that you would just point out this morning that if someone doesn't know you, God, that you would just bring them to you this morning in Jesus' name, God. I pray that you would just walk with someone this morning. Let them know, Father, that all they have to do is take the first step, God, and we will take the second step with them. Father, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.